0: Greetings. My name is Reverend Brandon Rensher. I'm super grateful to have received the invitation from Pastors Matt and Justin to gather with Christ City Church this morning for worship. It's been so encouraging to hear about the ministry and the makeup of your congregation, how you all embody the beloved community in the here and now and how you work for justice in your community and across the world. And what a powerful series, The Beatitudes, God's Kingdom Among Us. This series that fleshes out the marks of Jesus' reign, and how that stands in relation to the systems of our country and the world. I'm grateful to add a small contribution to this powerful series. Allow me to preach this morning from the title, Justice Half Full. Justice Half Full. Hear God's word in the Beatitudes through Matthew chapter five, verse six, and I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version and it reads as follows. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Friends, this is the word of God, for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Early on in my college years, I was having a hard time believing in God because I was grappling with what theologians call the question of theodicy. The question of theodicy asks, how can there be a loving and powerful God with so much evil and suffering in the world? Now, as a son of the South and of the black church, religion is more than just about beliefs. It's part of our culture. So this grappling was more than an intellectual stretch for me, an intellectual wrestling for me. It was really, really wrecking my interior life. My health took a turn for the worse. My grades began dropping. This question was taking a toll on my life. The question of theodicy turned into a question of my own standing before God. I basically became a functional agnostic. And then a local pastor that I had a relationship with shared this beatitude with me to help me to be assured of my place with God. Friends, I remember reciting this verse as I would go to sleep at night in my bunk in my dorm. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. With time, these words did help me personally. It helped me feel a stronger sense of security personally. But it did not seem to address the question of the Odyssey that got me into the situation In the first place, I wanted to know if what was on offer by Jesus is only about me personally being made right with God? What did this verse have to do with everything else I saw in the world that I wanted to be made right? Is Jesus offering a half full justice? That's the question before us this morning, friends. Let's pray together before we dive in further. Holy God, these are indeed perilous times. And we don't have to name them before you because you see with us. And so God, as we gather your people, your disciples, as we gather this morning, Help us to fix our eyes upon your word. Help us to fix our eyes upon things eternal. Because God, our world, our country, our times are in so much instability. And so would you attend to our questions this morning? Help us to know that you are listening help us to grapple together this morning in Jesus' name we pray amen blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled say it aloud with me friends where you are blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Here's my translation. Happy are folks who crave right relationship because that craving will be satisfied. I want to remind us of a few pieces of context as we get going here. The Beatitudes aren't a soundbite or a newsreel. This is Jesus's manifesto. It demands close attention. It requires grappling. The Beatitudes don't give you warm and fuzzies. They are not positivity or self-help literature. The Beatitudes are the kind of stuff that puts you at odds with the status quo. You don't gather crowds around this kind of work. You gather disciples. I like to think of disciples as comrades as co-conspirators on a mission, a community of devoted trainees gearing up for a revolution. This mission, this revolution is the kingdom of heaven to which Jesus has already spoken. Jesus says that to believe in the kingdom, this community of radical kinship with all created life and the creator is to live now in the present time as citizens of of the kingdom which we await to be fully realized. kingdom living is a lifestyle of repentance, of turning away from the domination culture, of breaking ranks with the status quo that only guarantees life together for some, not all. What a risky conversation and journey ahead for both Jesus and for the disciples. I'd imagine that Jesus sits down to teach and dialogue with his disciples, recognizing fully the weightiness of it all. And the posture of sitting that we see in the text, it demonstrates welcome, not judgment. It demonstrates caution, not ultimatum. If it were me, I would be on the very edge of my seat, hanging on to every word of Jesus full of anticipation with every pause he takes. Swirling around in my mind, pictures of adventure and danger that are on the horizon. Hearts palpitating over the sure threat of loss. Happy are folks who crave right relationship because that craving will be satisfied though I'm not sure that happiness would be on my mind and my heart. Jesus, are you sure there's enough righteousness? For what's jacked up in my life, there's enough righteousness for that too? For the Roman state and the religious elites that see us as rebel rousers, Jesus, are you sure there's enough righteousness for it all? This is certainly the question that I wrestled with in college. And my gut tells me that it's not only me and the disciples in Jesus's day asking this question. Jesus is inviting us this morning as disciples to lean in closer, settle in. Let's get real, friends. Let's pull back the cover on how the church has tended to read this text. On the one hand are those who claim that this text is about personal righteousness. Of priority is personal piety that you and I must crave for our souls to be made right before a holy and just God. And then on the other hand are those who claim that this text is about social righteousness. That the happiness that we long for is rooted in a more just social life. That if every person in this country and across the globe had their just due, had their material needs met, and no system was unfairly distributing resources, that justice would be served. That every person would have their feel. That this is what brings happiness and the good life. Those that claim this reading of the text are committed to social justice. And these differences of interpretation have, over the years, turned into an outright culture war that has lasted for generations. So that today, it is common to hear something like this. Evangelicals care about piety. Liberals care about social justice. Piety has become equated with anti-abortion and family values. Social justice has become equated with anti-racism and women's rights and so forth. Most people nowadays don't know anything about the origin of the issue, about this divide of interpretation. Now you all are a congregation of fellow justice seekers. You care for the poor, you proclaim that black lives matter. It would be so easy for me to feed into the culture war this morning, to preach about how we who are justice seekers are on the right side of history, that we need to keep fighting for justice and that our hunger and thirst for righteousness in the public square is holy. And hear me friends when I say this, that if I were to preach this message today, this is a good and holy message. Yes, keep standing up for the least of these. Yes, keep fighting for justice for the immigrant. Yes, keep saying and living that Black Lives Matter. Amen to that message. But for me to give emphasis to this would be to be trained, the spirit of Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes. Jesus is gathering us today as his disciples to lean into our own repentance. Amen. So in that spirit, in the spirit of repentance of my own, and those of us who are justice seekers gathered here this morning, we must repent. For what? For how we have internalized this culture war. Friends, we have grown too attached to our own ability to do the work of justice in the public square, to the neglect of our own souls and our relationships. And hear me friends, I'm preaching to myself this morning and even to my fellow justice seekers in my town of Greensboro, North Carolina. Where do I see this neglect of personal righteousness? I see it in cancel culture, that we can throw folks away so easily because they don't perform social justice on social media the way that we do, or because they say something we don't agree with. We have very little ability to hold differences and disagreements except our own. I see it in our attachments. attachments to status. Attachments to being right. Attachments even to our spending. It's in the fatigue I see and that I experience in my own life. We are exhausted and we act poorly out of that place of lack. We have so little attention and affection to give to our own families and our loved ones, even though we'd give our lives in the public square trying to do what is right. It's as if we believe there's only enough water and bread of righteousness for either the social stuff out there or the stuff we have in here. Friends, let's. Keep it real this morning. Sometimes, or maybe you're the holy one and it's just me, but after almost two decades of fighting the good fight of justice out there, every now and again, sometimes, when the cameras and the people are not around, when it's only me and my thoughts, I ask myself, God, I know you say, I will be filled, but I am thirsty, Lord. I'm hungry, Lord. What about when I thirst and get hungry again for righteousness? What about when my community doesn't get that resource that we've been fighting for? What then, Lord? Is there enough righteousness for it all? And friends, when we see the cup of justice half full, we can't see enough righteousness for it all. When we are seeing it in that way, we are operating out of scarcity. And a scarcity mindset exposes our reliance on ourselves. Friends, what I hear God saying to us this morning, urging us, pleading with us, with a mother's longing is, get free. Get free, come out from under this weight. Come out from under the burden of trying on my own, trying on your own to do the work of justice. One of my mentors, Reverend Lenise Pinker says it this way and I quote her, we can't step over the ruins of our own souls and relationships to do justice for other people and places. End quote. Friends, what good is a half full justice? The wellness of our very hearts and bodies and souls and relationships are at stake. In mm, Jesus gathered his disciples and sat and said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Christ City Church and all those gathered with us virtually, we must contend with these questions that I have raised. Is Jesus offering his disciples a half- full cup of righteousness? Is there enough righteousness and justice to go around? Is this text about personal righteousness or is it about social righteousness? And the answer my friends is yes, yes. Friends, one of the tricks of the enemy, the evil one of white supremacy culture is binary thinking, the lie of false choices. It's the same tactic on display in our current election climate, pro-life or pro-choice, jobs or mobs, the left or the right. What we see in even a conservative biblical scholar like Dr. D.A. Carson, is that the Greek word for righteousness in this text would have been understood at that time as about both personal and social righteousness. I quote Carson, he says, satisfied with neither personal righteousness alone, nor social justice alone, they cry for both. And friends, the same is true of the word will, from the part of the verse that says, will be filled. The word will would have been understood by Jesus's listeners as being about both the present moment and the future. There was no captivity to linear time like we see in the contemporary Western world. Jesus's disciples would have heard something like this. A truly good life is in store for all of you who crave right relationships. Both now and in the future, you will have peace in your heart and personal relationships. Both now and in the future, your community and society will have everything it needs so that no one will be treated unfairly. I can imagine the disciples' ears parking up. I can imagine their hearts palpitating. I can imagine their eyes beginning to water because this teaching would have reminded them of the God of the Exodus that they had heard about from their ancestors. The God who provides endless manna for their people to eat in the midst of famine and in the midst of their journey toward freedom land. Let's say that beatitude together again with passion, knowing that we are not captive to near time, that we are saying this with the ancestors long ago and disciples far and wide. Say it with me, friends. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The Gospel of Luke's account of the Beatitudes would show us that these disciples would have been reminded of being out on the sea with Jesus. They couldn't catch any fish that day. Jesus told them to cast your nets again. And they had to call over partners in other boats to help them pull aboard more fish than they could have handled on their own. Friends, they would have been reminded of the God that provides. The God that has enough for us all, the God that provides abundantly, whether it's food for our bodies or the food of justice for our souls and for our society. They and we serve a God that has enough to provide abundantly for us all. For it is Jesus that said, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Friends, say that beatitude with me again. From this deep place of remembrance. Say it with me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Still, friends, I want to invite us to go a little bit deeper. Knowing that God will provide both the righteousness for our souls and the society? Is it always what we see in the here and now? This raises a profound question for us about what we believe about God. If God's justice is abundant, if God's righteousness is abundant, if there's enough for our personal lives and the society, then why hasn't it come already in its fullness? What is God waiting on? Why would God withhold abundant justice and righteousness from us? Friends, we have to come to terms with our immature ideas of God. God is not a superhero. We're waiting to come in to rescue us. Nor is God, the big man upstairs, standing back at a distance, moping until we praise him enough to deserve his blessings. I know we might have a sophisticated theology now, but often our functional theology, the theology that operates below the surface, is the theology we were socialized into by the fear-based and domination-based cultures of this age. Friends, God doesn't force or waste God's overflowing waters of justice on us in our world. In Christ, through the incarnation, God exercises self-limitation. Ours is not the God that rescues, nor the God that sucks. Ours is the God that joins. We serve a God that joins in the struggle for righteousness in our souls and in the society. Our God is like my southern black mama that prepares the table for everyone to have enough. And yet when the door is swung open, it's open to all. Amen? What was one chair we left empty just in case we had an extra guest turns into a whole slew of kids from the neighborhood that her mama Vicky is cooking up her famous fried chicken. So like a good mother-son team, me and my mama, we look at each other and we both know what that means. That we tell folks to start eating and we invite any that want to join us back in the kitchen to whip up some more food so we all have what we need. What are you saying, Pastor Brady? Friends, I'm so glad that you asked. Happy are those, Lord have mercy, I want to preach this thing like I feel it. Happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for justice because God is the great host. And when more is needed, we take the responsibility to call on God, to join God back in the kitchen, to cook up more justice for our underfunded schools, to cook up, more righteousness for that insecurity that you just can't seem to get over, to cook up more justice so that all the families in the area of food apartheid get nutritious food, to cook up more food for that conflict with your fellow justice worker, to cook up more justice so that our country isn't captive to fascism and bigotry. Friends, we must come to terms with our own limitations if abundant justice could have been achieved by us, don't you think we would have done it already? Hunger and thirst are active words of yearning and craving. We need God, we need the creator for both the justice that we seek out there and the justice that we need in our own souls and in our own relationships so that we can be sustained For the long haul. We need God with us struggling for righteousness in the streets. We need God's justice in our hearts when we are struggling to believe that we are okay in our hearts. So the issue is not whether God has enough justice or whether God will abundantly give justice. The issue is whether or not we are regularly Inviting God into the justice that we are seeking in our souls and in the society. The issue is whether or not we see God joining us as co laborers, as co creatives in the righteousness we seek in our souls and in the society. When we operate on fumes, when we don't invite and recognize God with us in the journey, even what we have that God provides we cannot properly steward. So how do we do this? How do we do this work? How do we satisfy this need for God in the work of personal and social justice? I'm reminded of the saying from Dr. King which Dr. Cornel West popularized, and I quote them, justice is what love looks like in public. Tenderness is what justice looks like in private. Friends, love and tenderness, like God, are not perishable items. The gifts of justice and righteousness are eternal, and so is the gift giver. The well of love and tenderness never runs dry. God never runs out of energy for us. Like anything else, we are replenished with God and with the gift of righteousness when we give them attention. The Afro-futurist sci-fi writer, Adrienne Marie Brown, says it this way, and I quote her. What we pay attention to grows. She actually calls it attention liberation. Another mystic, Howard Thurman, has helped me. And so I offer his words to us today as well. Thurman says this, and I quote him. There is something in every one of you that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine within yourself. It is the only true God you will ever have. And if you cannot hear it, you will all of your life spend your days on the streams that somebody else pulls. Thurman goes on to say that in order to find that voice of the genuine or God, we must first find the sea within our own souls. And the island on that sea. And we must wrestle the angel on the island that stands in between us and the altar, which carries the words of affirmation we must hear. And friends, this wrestling is not a punishment. It is a wrestling with the many other voices to which we must silence and say no in order to say yes to the one true voice. Friends, for those of us who are already living and doing the work of justice in the public square. This is good news. That we need not continue to do this work on empty. Let's find that stillness, that voice of the genuine, that voice of God, where we claim the righteousness we need. And then let's carry that voice from our interior journey out with us, into our relationships, and into our work for justice in the world, so that no matter what comes our way, we know how to replenish on God's life with us. So yes, so yes, Lord, fill the education system with righteousness, Yes Lord, fill the healthcare system with justice. Yes Lord, fill the criminal injustice system with righteousness. Yes Lord, fill the broken electoral system with justice. And wow, you are with us Lord. Filling the world, filling the world up with justice. Lord, will you also Fill up the insecurities of my heart with your righteousness. Lord, while you're marching with us in the streets with me, Lord, will you also march with me to seek forgiveness from that person that I offended? Oh, Lord, while you protest out in the streets with us, Lord, will you also console us through the doubt that we face as we go to sleep at night? Because God, you are enough. And there is enough of your righteousness to go around. There is enough justice. For it all. Whew. I'm closing now. I'm closing. But I want to leave you with something. I want to leave you with the words of that old hymn that came to me as I was preparing this song. That old hymn, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. It reminds me of what Jesus is saying to us this morning. Receive these words as a balm to us all, pass me not, O gentle savior. Hear my humble cry. Yes, Lord, you are calling on others and others are calling on you, while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by, let me at thy throne of mercy, find a sweet relief, kneeling there in deep contrition, help my unbelief trusting only in thy merit. Would I seek thy face, heal my wounded, broken spirit, save me by thy grace, save Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, Lord. Yes, Lord, I know you gotta go answer others, others call. Yes, Lord, I know that others are calling you for what they need out in the streets. And at the same time, Lord, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. <sighs> Amen. Amen. Amen.